0: If you all did not like that, you will not like heaven. There's going to be a whole lot more of that with people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. Amen? Wow. I feel like I just found a new favorite song. I I think I get at least one of those a week, and I think this is my new favorite for this week. That's incredible. Okay, so I've got a couple pictures to show you all. Here's the first. Here is a picture of an iceberg and here is a picture of someone praying. Now, I know we started pretty fast, so let's do that again. Here is a picture of an iceberg. That's a good-looking iceberg, by the way. And here is a picture of someone praying. Now, if you were wondering, Paul, why are you randomly showing us pictures of icebergs and people praying, that's a reasonable question to ask. So, here is the connection. The part of your prayer life that no one sees should be disproportionately larger than the part everyone sees. The part of your prayer life no one sees should be disproportionately larger than the part everyone sees. Today as we finish our series, Jesus on Prayer, we are discussing secret prayer from Matthew chapter 6. And so far in this series, we have addressed model prayer, persistent prayer, believing prayer, forgiving prayer, authoritative prayer, and then today we're going to finish with secret prayer. And in some ways, we are actually finishing the series where we began the series. We began talking about model prayer back over in Matthew chapter 6, and we are going to end talking about secret prayer out of Matthew chapter 6. Now, I recognize when I use the word secret, that it can mean different things depending upon your context. So let me try to clarify that for just a moment. Um, In this context, I am not talking about secret in the sense that you cannot tell anybody about it. Like if you tell them, you're gonna have to kill them. That's that's not what I'm talking about. This is not hush-hush, secret, like confidential prayer, but rather I'm using the term secret as Jesus used it in this text, In order to describe prayer that is offered in private, it is away from everyone and everything. It is away from distractions. It's you alone with God. It's been said that it is prayer that happens from the secret place, the the private place. So this type of secret prayer, it is foundational in a person having an effective prayer life. We need to get alone with God. We need to get away from the distractions and the noise of the world. And we need to focus specifically on him. So in this text, I'm going to tell you from the very beginning, Jesus is going to be talking about public as well as private prayer. And some of his comments about public prayer almost might sound as though he is speaking against people praying in public. And that is by no means the case. Rather, you're going to find that he is against hypocrisy of public prayer where the focus is to draw attention back to the person who is praying. Now, while addressing secret prayer, he's going to help us see how something as wonderful as prayer, as spiritual as prayer, as powerful as prayer, can become mechanical and lifeless and many times hypocritical. Now, nobody ever intends for their prayer life to go in that direction, but... Let's be honest, sometimes our prayer life can become mechanical and we go through the motions. We do it because we know we need to pray, but sometimes our heart's not in it. And and that's never where we want to be, but sometimes it happens. And many times it happens because our focus comes off of God. And when we do that, we will regulate what should be relational. We regiment what should be relational. We put a lot of structure around something because we know it's important and we miss some of the relational qualities. So how do we move away from spiritual posturing and we get back to a place of secret prayer? How do we make sure that the part of our prayer life that no one sees is disproportionately larger than the part that everyone sees? And how do we get away from the noise The distractions, the the messaging, the advertising, the, the pressures of this world that we live in. And by the way, the world's not going to change on this matter. How do we get away from that and rediscover the joy of sitting alone and communing with our Heavenly Father? Did you all know every answer you and I need for life and godliness is found right here in His Word? That's where we're going to find our answer this morning. If you're not already there, turn with me in your Bibles today. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 6, will be in verses 5 and 6. I am speaking this morning on the topic of secret prayer. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 5 and 6. It says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into this text, God, may it come alive in a fresh way in our hearts. May we walk away today with a greater passion, greater conviction, greater desire to get alone with you and pray than we've ever had in our spiritual journey. And Lord, I know that's a lot to ask, but God, I know that you can do it. I know you can place that fresh fire, that fresh desire in each of our hearts. So Lord, would you do it this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So for us to see how something good and spiritual like prayer can become mechanical and regulated and lifeless and even hypocritical, I I want us to see how prayer moved from relational to regimented in first century Judaism. If we see that connection this morning, then everything that Jesus just mentioned in verses five and six is going to be unbelievably clear. Now, let me also say from the very beginning, I do not think that people ever intend to regiment their prayer life, and that was certainly not the case for first century Judaism. There has never been a religion in the world that has had a deeper respect and a deeper love for prayer than what the Jewish people have had. In fact, the rabbis used to say that prayer was greater than all good works, and the only regret of a rabbi first century was that they could not spend all day, every day in prayer. That's how much emphasis they had placed on prayer. So Judaism had developed this incredibly strong culture of prayer, the teaching on prayer, the respect for prayer, the priority that had been given to prayer, and the encouragement to pray was incredible. But watch this. This, Here's a sequence of statements. Whatever is elevated gets esteemed whatever is esteemed gets protected and whatever is protected gets regimented listen to that again whatever is elevated gets esteemed that that is when we put value by something we we lift it up we look at it and we say that's great And whatever is esteemed now gets protected. We want to make sure that everybody gets in on it. That everybody, for not only this generation, but the next generation. And whatever gets protected gets regimented. To make sure that others will be able to experience the same thing. We begin to put so much structure around it because we love it. We value it. Now you're going to see that process come alive in this text this morning. So much of this morning's message is going to describe the culture of prayer that existed in first century Judaism. But please keep in mind, what I'm going to mention in the text this morning, these are not problems that came from spiritual neglect. It it was not that they were apathetic towards things. These are problems that actually came with misguided devotion. And all of the issues that I'm going to mention right here are not specific to Judaism. Every single one of these, Christians can battle with as well. So here's the context to which Jesus was speaking. First, it's in your notes. Uh, Jesus addressed a culture where prayer had become very formalized. That's the culture that he's talking to. There were two things that every Jew did daily. The first was to pray the Shema. That was a prayer consisted of three different passages found out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 11, as well as Numbers chapter 15. Uh, The word Shema, it means to hear. The name comes from the primary verse that was a part of the prayer, which simply started with, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now the full Shema was to be recited by every Jew every morning and every evening. It was to be recited as soon as the rabbis said, as soon as the light was strong enough to distinguish between blue and white, or as some rabbis said, between blue and green. It was always to be said before 9 a.m. and to be repeated before 9 p.m. Every Jew, every morning, every evening. Now, without a doubt, there were going to be some who they could go through and pray the Shema exactly as it was described, with a heart of devotion and passion and sincerity and reverence. But then there was also going to be a lot of others that they were doing it because they knew they had to. They knew they were supposed to. So they would... They would do it, but their heart wasn't there. It was more out of obligation. It was not out of delight. It was out of duty. And for those people, it became an exercise in vain repetition. Now, before we get kind of critical of people who were praying back then with vain repetition, we probably want to pause for just a moment and think of how we bless our meals. Think about that. Now, you know as well as I do, there's some people when they pray, they are genuinely thankful for what they're about to receive. And there's other people when they pray, they just grew up in a Christian home or they grew up in a Christian context and they feel guilty for not praying, so they quickly throw something up and they move on with life. That kind of sounds like praying out of obligation and vain repetition. But that's just me. You make your own decision from there. So every Jew was to pray the Shema every morning, every night. But also every Jew was to pray what was referred to as the Shemona Ezra. That is also called the Amadah. It, it meant the eighteen. It was 18 prayers that were also to be prayed daily. Over time, there was 19 prayers, but they they kept the original name. These prayers, they were short. They were beautiful prayers. In fact, here's one of those. It's the fifth prayer, and it was for repentance. Listen to how beautiful this is. Cause us to return, our Father, unto your Torah. Draw us near, our King, unto your service. And bring us back in perfect repentance unto your presence. Blessed art thou, O Lord, who delights in repentance. All 19 prayers were beautiful. They were short. But listen, all 19 were to be reported every morning, every afternoon, and also every evening. So just between those two sets of prayers, there was a lot of structure. There was a lot of formalized prayer that was happening in the first century. So here's another part of the culture that Jesus is talking to. He addressed a culture with structured prayers for many occasions. Here's what I mean by that. There were prayers that you prayed before and after each meal. Boy, that would mess us up right now, wouldn't it? If we struggle with just the one before, think about the one after. There were prayers that they prayed in connection with light, fire, and lightning. There were prayers for seeing a new moon, seeing comets, seeing rain, seeing the sea, seeing lakes, or happen to see a river. There were prayers that you prayed when receiving good news, when using new furniture, <laughs> when entering or leaving a city, etc., etc. There were all of these formalized prayers that had been structured over their time. Now, listen to why they did it. And this is so key. The intention was to bring God's presence into every part, every moment of life. That sounds awesome. Who would not want to acknowledge God's presence constantly throughout the day? The question becomes how. By creating all of these prayers for every occasion... The person had to recognize the moment in the moments and then pray the prayer that was specific for that moment. They had to stop what they were doing, had to recognize the moments. They had to shift gears sometimes mentally to develop or to muster up a reverence and respect and awe, and then they were to pray in that moment over that particular issue. I'm just talking for myself here. I think my head would explode. I struggle to recognize the moment in the moment. Do you know when I recognized the moment? Like a week later, I was like, I miss that moment. I, I struggle to focus deeply on anything, stopping in the day, focus deeply on anything other than my to-do list. I, I struggle to remember certain things, especially structured prayers that were to go for every occasion. So for them to have to pause and stop and think and reflect and pray and know the right prayer and recognize it in the moment like that's a lot of work. But listen, what if the prayer was a little bit more relational? What if somebody were to simply get up in the morning and say, God, help me to acknowledge you at every moment of the day? And then trust the Holy Spirit to prompt you when those moments come. One sounds rigid. The other sounds relational. So with all regimented and recited prayers, some people did exactly what was expected, but they did it without recognizing or focusing on God. The rabbis knew that was a problem, so the rabbis even taught if a man says his prayers as if to get through a set task... That is no prayer. They saw, even at that time, humanity's tendency to go through the motions and their heart not being in it. And again, before we start to criticize, think of what we do with our quiet time. Think of what we do with our Bible reading. Think of how quickly our time of prayer can devolve into a form of ritualism and lifeless duty. So here's the second or the third piece. Jesus addressed a culture that connected prayer to certain places, especially the temple or the synagogue. Now, I just got to be honest on this and speak for myself once again. There are just some places that seem more conducive to prayer. Like if I'm in the mountains, I'm walking along the beach. If I'm in nature, if I happen to be out at sunrise or sunset, it just seems like a moment to pray, like there's, something beautiful and majestic and awe-inspiring. It's like you look at it and you're like, I I want to commune and and talk to my creator in that moment. I get that. Several years ago, I had the privilege of going to Israel with a group of rabbis and also pastors. And when we were in Israel, the rabbis were joking around with me. And they, they probably, every one of them pulled this same joke at least three times on the trip with me. And they would say, Paul, when you pray in Israel, it's a local call. I thought that was funny. I I like some good humor. I get that. But do you know what they were actually saying? They were saying the same thing that all people think. Certain places have the presence of God stronger than other places. Now, in this section right here, in the first century, rabbis many times encouraged that mindset. They were teaching their people, for your prayers to be effective, you have to go into the temple. And as a result of that, they found it that there was a customary time, a prayer time, that people would show up at the temple. If you all remember our story from this last week, I talked about Peter and John as they were entering into the temple at the hour of prayer. Do you remember that? And they were approached by the beggar. So we find in, even in that story, whether they were going for evangelistic purposes or maybe they were going out of habit for what they've done for all the years, they were still going to the temple for a specific time of prayer. Now you might wonder, like Paul... If they're praying and they're going to a temple or praying in a church, like what's the problem with that? I mean, we should encourage people to constantly pray. And I agree. I agree. Always encourage people to pray. But here's the danger that if we're not paying close attention, people start to believe that God is confined to certain locations. If they think that God only hears at certain spots, they feel as though I gotta get to that spot for God to hear me. But we understand, based on scripture, God is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. All everywhere at the same time, there's nowhere we can go to escape the presence of God. So if that means that you are walking along a beach or you're sitting in a church service or you are driving in traffic, you can 100% engage with God in prayer. It's not about his presence being just in certain locations. Here's a fourth piece. Jesus addressed a culture that elevated lengthy prayers. So one particular rabbi, his name was Rabbi Levi, he said, whoever is long in prayer is heard. I think some of that same mindset is alive and well in the church today, and that is we equate short prayers with lack of maturity and long prayers with being more spiritual. So I tend to shock a lot of people when I pray a blessing over a meal. And as a, apparently I'm shocking my wife by this comment as well. But my wife knows where this is going. So because I am a pastor, uh, a lot of times I find myself as the designated blesser of the food. Um, and so I think when people know I'm a pastor, they kind of settle in for this long pastoral blessing it's going to mention the cosmos and God holding everything together and some blessing over the woodland creatures and then there's gonna be something that we're gonna come back into blessing the food. And so when I say a blessing, most of the time, my blessing is, Lord, thank you for the food we're about to receive, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> and when I say amen, <laughs> one eye comes open. And people have this puzzled look, and, and, and then they make these comments kind of under their breath, like, that was a short prayer. And, and that, I, that always gives me a moment. I, I have to explain my theology of praying a prayer, and that is the blessing is not the time to get caught up on your prayer life. Okay? Hey, hey. I spent time with God in prayer that morning. God and I talked about all sorts of stuff. When somebody's saying, would you bless the food? I think that's what we're supposed to be about. Thank you, God, for the food. Amen. So, and by the way, if uh, people are offended with that, I just want to throw this out. Um, when the prayers get really long... If you happen to open up one eye midway through the prayer, everyone at the table is sneaking food (laughs) quietly and trying not to be heard when they're chewing. little information for you. All right, number five. Jesus addressed a culture that valued excessive repetition. So some of these structured prayers would list every possible name or adjective that they could find for God. One famous prayer begins in this way. Blessed, praised, and glorified, exalted, extolled, and honored, magnified, and lauded be the name of the Holy One. That's just eight descriptors. There's another prayer that had 16 different adjectives for God as the prayer gets started. The result is when people were giving that type of repetition, they were far more focused on the list that they were sharing than the one that they were actually praying to. And here's the last of those. Jesus addressed a culture where some people were praying in order to be seen. They had made prayer a public spectacle. They would raise their hands. They would stop in the middle of the street. They purposefully planned their days to be at the most crowded parts of the city so that when the hour of prayer came, they could get the most attention possible. So when that hour of prayer came, they would stop where they're at and they would begin to recite their prayers loudly, loudly for everybody to hear what was going on. Now, let me say again, nothing wrong with being passionate in your prayers. Nothing wrong with being excited when you pray. The issue that Jesus was speaking against is when somebody is loud for the purpose of drawing attention back to themselves, so, at this point, maybe you all have noticed the strangest things cracked me up. So, I'm going to give you another story. This has maybe happened to you because I know it has happened to me a lot, a whole lot. So, here's the story. You're hanging out with a friend, getting lunch. Maybe you're down at the Buffalo Wild Wings. It's a good friend. You're, you're, you're talking. You're catching up on life. You're, you're catching up on work. You're catching up on sports teams and you're talking about Caribbean jerk chicken, and you're like, this is the best chicken ever, and you're, you're describing those things, and then you're about to leave, and the person says, is there anything I can pray for you about? And you're like, yes, as a matter of fact, and you share a couple of things, and in your mind, you think they're gonna take that home, and they're gonna pray about that over the next couple of weeks in, in privates. But they're like, let's pray. And they start right there and like all right we're doing this and and your head goes down and then that same person who was calm and quiet and relational they lift their voice so that everyone in that restaurant can hear them and all of a sudden their language changes and And they begin to say things like, Oh, most glorious God, who dost rend the heavens and paint the sky in wonderful array. And all of a sudden I look up and I'm like, Whoa, (laughs) what happened to my friend? One moment I'm talking to Mike, and the next moment I'm praying with Shakespeare at the table. (laughs) And Shakespeare is loud. I'm like, God is not deaf. I am not deaf. Why are you yelling at me? Okay. Sometimes people are not praying to God. They are posturing for others. There are a lot of prayers that travel horizontally instead of vertically. So let's bring the pieces back together. Jesus addressed a culture where prayer had become very formalized. We structured prayers for many occasions that connected prayer with certain places, that elevated lengthy prayers, that valued excessive repetition, and where some people were praying in order to be seen. And it is to that crowd, with people having that mindset, that he says this, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and to pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. If their goal was to be recognized, he said, mission accomplished. You got your reward. But notice the pronoun change in verse 6. But you, when you pray, Go to your father, or go to your inner room. Close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. They might do that. You don't have to. They might pray with the wrong intentions, but you've got a higher standard. He's engaged them. It's about communion back with God. He's wanting people to recognize that all of these different things, they start to miss the point. Prayer is about communion with God. It's not about reciting formal prayers or having specific prayers for every occasion or praying in a certain place or talking a long time or using 30 adjectives for God or being seen by others. All of those things can become distracting from the main thing. Are you communing with God? Are you in his presence, are you communicating with your heavenly father? Are you alone with him where the focus is on him? That leads to our key concept. We'll be finishing in just a moment. Secret prayer requires isolation for the purpose of communion. Secret prayer requires isolation for the purpose of communion. Now, let me tell you why this is an important concept that we have to pull out if if we want a strong, effective, vibrant prayer life. Here's why this is so important. Because part of what the teaching of the church has been specifically in about the last 20, 25 years, there was others before us that would share the same truths, is they, they encourage believers to pray throughout the day which is good. We, we need to practice the presence of God. We need to be in a state of praying. But a part of what happened in that is believers began to say, I just pray throughout the day. I don't have a specific designated time for prayer. Do you know what happens when we do that? We get so distracted by everything else going on, it's hard to just focus on God in those moments. It's a both and. It's not an either or. There needs to be those times that you're shutting out distractions, you're turning off the noise so that you can get alone with God and have clear focus and pray and and all your focus in that moment is not on dodging traffic, it's not on i got to get back to work in three minutes. It's about being in his presence, about sitting with him and praying to your heavenly father. It's not that we do not pray throughout the day, but it means that we don't replace the private, secret times of prayer with the other. So when I talk about this idea of prayer requires isolation for the purpose of communion, let me say it's not isolation for the purpose of hiding from the rest of the world. That's called being a hermit. It's not isolation for the purpose of being alone with your own thoughts. That's called me time. It's not isolation For the purpose of the fact you think you've come to truth that nobody else understands or gets. That's called Gnosticism. It is isolation for the purpose of communion. Jesus spoke in verse number 6 about the inner room. And that room would be any sort of a small room. It could even be a storage closet, just a small place. So I want you to think for just a moment about those who had always been taught and believed you had to go into a place with the glory of the temple in order to be heard by God. And Jesus is saying, go into your storage closet. Go into that place and get alone with God. Think about how that would have impacted the people who were thinking, there's no way something that ordinary could be a powerful place for prayer. Do you know the reason why a storage closet, something simple, can be a powerful place for prayer? Listen, God's presence makes the simple sacred. The ground that Moses was walking on was ordinary ground until God called to him from a burning bush. And in that moment, God said, take off your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. God's presence makes the simple sacred. After 20 some years of being in church planting, I feel like I've lived this principle over the course of two decades. We would meet for worship services in homes and garages and schools and casinos, clubhouses, businesses, city parks, parking lots, and finally in facilities that were built for church purposes. It didn't matter where we met, we had church, we worshiped Jesus. We preached the word. We asked that God would make much of himself, and God answered those prayers. People were saved, and people were baptized, and people were freed from addictions, and marriages were healed, and people found hope in Christ. Why did it happen? It wasn't about the location, it was about God. God's presence makes the simple sacred. Two verses. Jesus removes many of the false assumptions that people have about prayer. He takes away our excuses for prayer. That is, when somebody says, I don't know what to say, or I can't get to the right place to pray, or I don't have my prayer book with me so that I can see the specific prayer, or I'm not eloquent in my words whenever I pray. Basically, here's what Jesus is saying. Go home, get in your closet, shut your door, and pray that's it 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 doesn't have to be so structured so formalized it's simply about meeting with God in prayer God still sees you in secret and he clearly hears you in private God is not impressed with our posturing nor is he moved by our religiosity He is not captivated by the length of our prayers or the eloquence of our speech or the rigidness of our discipline. He wants his people to meet with him where the focus is on him. Secret prayer requires isolation for the purpose of communion. Just get alone with God and pray. So as we close, here's a couple of questions I have for you. What excuses have you been giving as to why you cannot pray? Are you taking advantage of God's incredible invitation to come into his presence and to share your heart with him? Are you effective in your prayers or have you become so regimented that you're just going through the motions? Is the part of your prayer life No one sees disproportionately larger than the part that everyone sees. Here's probably the hardest question. If God's activity in your family or in your church rested on your prayers right now, where would your family and where would your church be? On this side of heaven... Every believer has an opportunity to grow in prayer. Until we see our Savior face-to-face in eternity, there's things he's going to be teaching us. There's levels he's calling us to go deeper and deeper with him. You all have heard me share multiple times. Of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer has been the hardest one to consistently develop in my life. You all have also heard me share over the last year that God convicts me regularly that my prayer life is woefully deficient for the task before me. I, every day, I hear his call to pray. Every, every day, multiple times a day, it's moments of come sit with me, come sit with me, come sit with me. And I wish I could tell you that every time I hear the call, I stop, and I invite God into that moment. That's not the case. But it's one where, here's a thing about a person who loves a list, and they love to pursue Jesus. If God gives me breath in my body tomorrow, I want to say, Lord, would you live this more faithfully through me today than when I lived it yesterday? I'm going to keep going back and say, God, I want the prayer life that you're describing. I want that level of deep intimacy. And here's one of the beautiful things about knowing who we are in Christ. Our Heavenly Father is not up in heaven condemning us and saying, you should have got it right last week. Instead, he says, come with me a little bit further. My identity and my position in Christ has not changed And because I know he loves me and I'm secure in him, it gives me encouragement tomorrow to get up and say, Lord, let today be different. Let my heart be different. God, draw me closer and closer in this area. Share my heart. Didn't intend to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. My desire one day when I see my Savior face to face is I don't want to feel as though and look at my Savior and think I left so much of the joy of the Christian life untouched because I was just too busy trying to live life. I wanna feel like when, when I go, I wanna be able to testify like the Apostle Paul I have finished the course, I've kept the faith. I want to be able to see my Savior knowing that the energy, the gifts, the time, the opportunities that he's allowed in my life have been laid at his feet. And it's been something that day by day by day, he just keeps walking me closer in and closer in and closer in. I want to be able to one day close my eyes in death and say, I got nothing left. It's all been poured out. God could do it with every single one of us. Why would we want to take to eternity the blessings he intended for here? Why would we not give every ounce of our being and every part of our focus and the resources and the time? Why would we not give it to the Savior who has done so much for us? I don't know if you all have noticed or not, but there is a world that is chaotic outside of these walls. There are people who need Jesus, people who need the gospel, and it's not going to happen because you and I are so spiritual that we can do it ourselves. It has to be that the Holy Spirit of God that is indwelling you and indwelling me and indwelling the others on the other churches, it has to be that the Holy Spirit of God is so radiantly living through his people that it causes people to look and say, I want what you have. If nobody's ever asking us about our Jesus... That should be an alarm. Live it all for Him. Live it all for Him. And here's, here's a part of that. Everything God is gonna do in and through your life, He will accomplish out of the overflow of your relationship with Him. And you know where that's gonna happen? On our knees in prayer. Oh, we got such a wonderful opportunity to pray. Let's go to the Father. Heavenly Father, We recognize, Lord, that you have given so much for us to be in right relationship with you. You have given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You have given us an invitation to be in your presence, to step into the throne room, 24-7, 24-7, 365, God, we, we have that opportunity. You, you have told us in your word that we are to ask and we are to seek and we are to knock. You have told us in your word that we are to share our heart before you and we're to bring our requests before you. And God, you've you've told us that. God, may it sink in in a way in which we literally believe what you just said and we live it God may you spark a fire of prayer in our hearts God for people that they've been praying for 80 years at this point if not longer Lord I pray that you would spark a new flame of passion for prayer God, I'm praying for people right now in this room. They, they are a brand new believer, and they're just starting. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would so fill them with the discipline of prayer early on that they will have nothing else that their eyes would be distracted by, that they would recognize the importance of getting alone with you. God, would you put that in? With, for those who have been walking with you for some time in between that, and, Lord, we've lost sight of the power of prayer Lord, would you renew it in our hearts. God, help us to remember over and over again that prayer is not preparation for the work. Prayer is the work. So God, may you draw the hearts of your people. Lord, I'm praying outside of these walls. I'm praying for the churches that are in this city. In southwest Georgia, God, I am praying that believer after believer, multiple churches, multiple denominations, multiple ethnicities, multiple generations, multiple backgrounds. God, I pray that there is a renewal and a revival and an awakening of prayer. That we see that there's people that are stopping in their day and inviting your presence into each moment. God, would you overwhelm us with activity in response to prayer? God, not for our sake, but to open our eyes to see how glorious you are. God, we need you. We need you. In Jesus' name.